Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Opportunity knocks, or so the saying goes. I suppose that works for Christians, but I would add to that a, a great deal. We all have opportunities in life. If we believe in a sovereign God who's fully in control, and he wants to work through his people, us, believers, uh, we have to believe that he's got plans for us, right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. How do we come to uh, understand what the Bible says about those opportunities? Well, the, the passage here, as Paul wraps up this letter to the Colossian believers, uh, is quite clear, quite direct. Uh, and he will give us some good, good uh, in insight, some encouragement. And we get a bonus. In one of the funnest Bible studies that I've ever done, we get to see 10 people and what they're doing with the opportunities that God has given them. So, if you're tracking with us, keep, keep your eye on that number 10. And uh, for you young people that want something to grab onto, 12%. Remember that, okay? 12%. All right? So, the context here, of course, Paul, one of his letters, very typical of a Paul letter, the first half more doctrinal, the second half, and we looked at chapter 3 last week, um, very uh, much exhorting, instructional. How do you live this faith out? How do you live this out? And that's what we looked at in chapter 3. And we uh, just, by way of, of, of intro, verse 1 of chapter 4 went with chapter 3. So we're going we're gonna to end up picking it up in, um, in verse 2 of, of chapter 4. But what we'll see here today is not only some, some direct encouragement and instruction about opportunities, but we will see ways that I believe that each of us will be challenged. I think you'll see of the 10 people, you'll see at least one of them that relates directly to each of us, maybe more. And, and I think you'll, be, you'll go away encouraged from this study today. So let's pick it up. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. We'll pause there. Paul uses two words here in, this, in verse 2. It says, continue earnestly. So he's assuming they're already praying. <laughs> And, and yet he adds this word earnestly. So you get the impression that this is to be something that we're diligent in. Okay? And then, of course, he adds being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Vigilant there means wakeful. Okay? That we're aware, that we're, we're constantly aware of this idea that we can pray. 
And of course, we know that that's an instruction we get throughout the New Testament. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we see in many places, in fact, Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians said, pray without ceasing, right? So it's a, it's a mindset, really, as we go through our day, if we're actively trusting God, we're going to, you know, we don't have to get on our knees and, and you know, bow our heads and close our eyes. You can pray as you drive down the road. Keep your eyes open when you do that, please. But we can do that. And so he's saying here, continue to pray and uh, be vigilant in that. And we add with thanksgiving. You know, that passage from 1 Thessalonians that I cited, 1 Thessalonians 5 is where it is, verses 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And what does it go on to say? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Anybody want to know what the will of God is for their lives? I always do, right? Well, it's right there. <laughs> Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. That's God's will for your life. And you say, well, no, no, that doesn't help me. You know, do I buy the new car or the used car? You know, do I wear the red shirt or the yellow shirt today? You know, and big decisions, right? We want God's will in that. Well, the Bible seems to direct us more clearly towards this idea of trusting, and he'll help us with those daily decisions. But to pray diligently with thanksgiving, we're going to continue to be thankful, be grateful. So the second part of this then is Paul's request for them to, to pray specifically for Paul. So, folks, what we learned from this straight up is it's okay to ask people to pray for you. It really, really is. I mean, we can be discreet. We don't want to be weird about it. But it's okay to ask people to pray. Here's how he goes about doing that. He says, uh, pray that God would open to us a door. God would open the door. So these opportunities we have, and we all use that expression, right? Open doors. In fact, there's churches called open door, and we see the, the idea of, of doors being opened. Paul says he's asking that God would open the door. Now, if you're like me, by nature, I'm one who likes to make sure doors get open. And sometimes I use my own effort and my own initiative and my own brute strength. Uh, to get doors open. No, this isn't us kicking a door down. This is God opening the door. But if God is opening a door, what's the Bible say? No one can shut it. Revelation 3, that letter written to the Philadelphia church, it said, see, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. So if God is truly opening a door, folks, we want to be faithful to step into it, through it, and, and take that opportunity. Because if God is in it, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? So that idea of a door, you know, you see it in several places in the Bible. Of course, many of you remember uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, ask and it will be given, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. So we're to knock, we're to look for those doors that God will open. Paul says, please pray for us, that we'll see these, these doors that uh, the Lord opens for us. And what does he say it's for? It's an open door for the word. 
for the word. Now, some will say, well, yeah, that's that's part of Christian ministry. But, you know, I thought even if we add, you know, bring a cup of cold water, if we feed the hungry and all those kinds. Hey, those are all great things. Those are all good things. But, but he says the main open door here is for the word. Here's what, or here's how I see he's, he, what he's saying that is the most important thing. For by grace we're saved through faith. Faith, right, not of works that anyone can boast. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So we're saved by grace through faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word. Okay? <laughs> Salvation is by faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. Not sure how else anybody's going to understand the gospel message without the truth of the word of God. And I think that's why Paul puts this as clearly, as plainly, as directly as he does. Pray that God would open a door for us for the word. Because that's what it's about. The message here points to Jesus Christ. So, and, the, and the opportunity we have. Now he says here that we'd speak the mysteries of Christ. Now, that word is there, but it's not a big mystery. Okay? Whenever you see the word mystery in the, in the Bible, it's simply something that has been concealed, but has been revealed or will be revealed. Okay? Earlier in this letter, Paul gave two examples. The first was that the Jews didn't quite see how that the message of the gospel would be beyond the Jewish world and go to all nations and all people. And he explained that in chapter 1. The second thing is, he explained that part of that mystery, this is right at the end of chapter 1, by the way, part of that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in the Old Testament, Jew didn't get it. They thought just following the law. But the new covenant that we are told about way back in Jeremiah, which is confirmed, it's the whole idea that God will live in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. See? So when Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, it's, reveal, it's been revealed in the New Testament era that the Holy Spirit will dwell in all believers, not just come upon someone at a certain time for a certain, for a certain function. Okay? So those are a couple of examples of what we see when, when we see the word mystery. So don't, don't get weirded out on when you see the word mystery in your Bible. It simply means something that has been concealed, but is either revealed already or to be revealed. Okay? So that, that's what he's saying there. Now, Paul says, this is something I'm in chains for. We know this is one of the prison epistles, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. Anybody else scratching their head on this one? Paul says that God would open a door for us for which I'm in chains. So what's he praying for? Another jailbreak? <laughs> you know, like Peter saw, where is it, in Acts 12, or Paul and Silas in, in Acts 16, right? You, you didn't know this, right? Paul and Silas had, a, had an earth-shaking prison ministry in Acts 16. That's the place where the earthquake happened. See, that was a tempted humor, vain as it was. Paul's in prison, and he's praying for open doors. And it's not just, he's not just praying for a jailbreak. Flip back, the letter just preceding this, Philippians chapter 1. If you're a note taker, this is Philippians 1, verses 12 to 14. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me 
have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident of my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Two things have happened with Paul in jail in Rome, preaching the gospel. All the guards have heard the gospel. And the other people have said, wow, if Paul can preach the gospel while he's in jail, it, will, it has emboldened them to go forth with the gospel when they're not imprisoned. You see that? So Paul is saying... Lord, I want to see, pray for me that I'll see the open doors. And even when he's restricted physically, for the most part, in, in prison, he's already given examples of how the word is going forth. So he's praying, help me to see the open doors that God has, even in my circumstances. Application time. How many of us sometimes feel like, man, I'm nowhere. <laughs> Not much is going on, whether you're bored or you feel restricted or life is boring or life is so mundane, it just over and over and you feel like, what can the Lord do in my meager circumstances? I don't know. But if Paul can say the Lord's opening doors for him, there's effective work in prison, I would say that should uh, help us to say, okay, well, even in my circumstances, God can still work. So, we're to pray. We're to pray for others. Not be afraid to ask for prayer and that God would open those doors. Let's move on to the next section, verse 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Or some Bibles will say, make the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So, he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. And I think that can be assumed that he means unbelievers there. Okay, outside the, the, the church, outside the, 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 what we call um, believers. So, so we're to walk with wisdom. Wisdom meaning the correct application of knowledge, right? That's what wisdom is. It's the correct application of knowledge. And he says, um, we would then, if we're going to walk with wisdom, we're going to redeem the time. We're going to make the most of the opportunity. So what can we infer here? that even our interaction with people in our everyday lives is an opportunity. And he's saying, make the most of it. Make the most of it. How we conduct ourselves. Now we know obviously our character and our conduct are on display all the time. Our words are also going to matter. So to get some perspective here, another letter that's written at the same time believed to be sent at the same time uh, is Ephesians. I'll read from chapter 5. This is verses 15 to 17. A little bit more detail on this same principle. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, see then that you walk circumspectly or, or aware of everything going on around you. Not as fools but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Anybody can say amen at any time. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? 
So that's Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. If you're a note taker, want to go back to that uh, when, you, when, you're, when you're doing some, uh, some time on your own in the Word. So he says, make the most of the time or redeem the time. When you redeem something, what are you doing? You're getting the full value out, right? Found this in my desk recently. It's a gift card for a uh, restaurant chain. I didn't know it was there. <laughs> so you can go online, and it's got a code and a, a series of numbers there, and you can actually go online and look it up. Guess what? In my desk, I had $8.22 on this gift card. Still do. Yeah. You know what? You can take it with quite a bit of authority from someone who worked with a large uh, restaurant chain for a number of years. <laughs> Guess what percentage of these things, in fact, this brand, are never redeemed? 12%. 12% of these things are never redeemed. Somebody paid cold hard cash for these, okay? This isn't just a coupon, you get the clip out of the paper and it expires. By law, these things can never expire. Okay? 12% gone. I mean, I don't want to keep score or challenge you to keep score with the opportunities that the Lord gives us, but are there opportunities that are sitting in our desk drawer? We don't even see them? We don't even think about them? I, I don't know. I was a little convicted when I found this. It's been there for a long time, okay? And I know, I mean, that, that number is a real number, at least current to a few years ago, okay? I worked in the Perkins restaurant system for over 30 years, okay? I know with quite a bit of accuracy that that 12% number was correct a few years ago, okay? And uh, it's kind of nice because, yeah, well, anyway, as a business owner, yeah. your, your profit margin on unused gift, gift certificates is great. So, just saying, you know, you don't have to be a business major to figure that one out. So, all right, so let's talk about speech. That's the second part of this. He says, redeem the time, but he gets directly to the idea of our contact with other people and how we speak. Right? That, that's the part of this. Verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace. Always with grace. Now there's quite easily two sides to this idea. They're both true. They both fit. They both work. One is clearly God's grace. Right? That we speak with, we speak God's grace. That, that the message of the gospel isn't a legalism, isn't about following the law. It's about finding forgiveness because we can't keep the law. We trust in Christ, and so we speak about that grace. But I think just as important is that we speak graciously with grace. And folks, this is becoming more and more difficult. There are issues in our culture, American culture that seem to get us riled up, there's more every year, or so it would seem. I don't have to stand here and make a list. It would be a long list, okay? Anything in politics or economics or, you know, public health or, you know, you name it, cultural issues, there's plenty of things if you're a believer, as you read your Bible, you could e easily get riled up about. Let me give you an example here. 
Early in my career, I wasn't doing a great job of communicating. And my boss came to me, sat me down. I'm going, oh, great. What did I do now? He said, Pat, don't compromise on your convictions, but compromise in your communication. And I'm going, what's that supposed to mean? You know, I'm, I'm right. I know I'm right. Well, I thought about it, and I'm going, OK, he's right. Being right is not the entire battle here. We can be absolutely right in what we say. We can be absolutely wrong in how we say it. And I believe that's the big point here, what Paul's getting across to people. The message of the gospel will work much better if we understand the grace and the graciousness and that Holy Spirit in us, that peace and patience and kindness that to my flesh doesn't necessarily come easy, but that if I allow the Holy Spirit to work in me, he works that over time. So it's about grace. The second thing is it's about salt. It's about salt. Now, we all know, you know, Jesus said, you know, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And you've probably heard Bible studies on this, that salt is something that enhances the flavor of food, right? Food's a little boring. You add just the right amount of salt, too much salt, and you go, you know, that's not good. That's kind of nauseating. Uh, so salt enhances the flavor of food. Salt also is a preservative. Our day and age, we don't, you don't recognize that quite as much. But back in the day, I mean, they used salt to preserve food quite often. But for us Minnesotans, I want to put forth a third example of what salt is. What do we do in the wintertime? We put salt out there on the sidewalk. Why? It makes ice melt easier, faster, quicker. Salt, properly applied, can melt hearts sooner. Huh? Well, that was pretty good, too. <laughs> So, our speech with grace, like salt, flavoring, preservative, but also properly applied, we can see ice, icy hearts melt sooner if it's properly applied. Okay? And then he finishes that verse with that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Wow that you may know how to answer each one. Of course, many of you are thinking of that verse in 1 Peter 3, right? Always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you for the reason of the hope that you have. That's 1 Peter 3, 15. Always be prepared. Man, I don't know about you. There's plenty of times I've been caught off guard. And somebody says, what about this? What about that? I think last time I was here, one of the last times I was here, I told you of a situation, an opportunity that was certainly a wide open door. My older brother had just passed away. One of my younger brothers had just been diagnosed with cancer. This is all at the same time. And he called me up and he said, Pat, I need your help. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Hey, whatever. So I just came back from the doctor, and they said I got six months to live. You've always been more spiritual than me. They told me I'm going to die within the next six months, and I'm afraid to die. I need your help. What can you do for me? Uh, that, 
was an open door. You know, I was certainly glad I felt prepared to explain the gospel. And sure enough, we saw him come to faith in Christ. And the Lord actually gave him kind of a bonus year. He lived well over a year beyond that point, saw him come to Christ. And it's also provided an open door where I did his memorial services. And I just did his daughter's wedding here a few weeks ago. Yeah, where people actually heard the gospel at a wedding. <laughs> kind of cool. Yes, so that's what we did. So if I'm prepared to give that answer, I just laid out what I knew from the scriptures. That was an open door that took me quite a bit by surprise, and it was a real, what you'd call a pretty heavy conversation. But it's also opened up other doors as well. Work, school, neighbors, family. They don't have to be those heavy conversations where somebody comes to you, like a, an employee of mine once did. So, Pat, can I talk to you? Sit down, you know, and yeah, yeah. I feel so lost. Can you help me? I mean, literally, I had an employee come to me one time and said, I feel so lost. Can you help me? Sure. Here's what the gospel, here's what the gospel is, here's what the Bible says. But folks, don't, don't get overrun by those big things that we remember. This can be the very, very, very small things that build relationships and that you can get in on, even that you're indirectly involved in. Let me give you an example. A, few years, a couple years ago, I think it was in uh, 19, 18, I don't know, a couple, two, three years ago, I was putting together a group to go over to Italy to help with some construction at this church and Bible school where my son Tyler works. And... Um, we're getting ready to go. I got a phone call from, from Donovan. Donovan's on staff there, one of the missionaries. He and his wife, three beautiful kids. And uh, he says, hey, Pat, I know you're coming over. He says, can you pick up something for me? And I'm going, that's fine. You know, I'll be the pack mule. We kind of understand that these, you know, these trips, having kids that have been on the mission field, you know, if you go, your suitcase, you know, have some extra space in there for whatever. He says, can you go to the dollar store? And get a half dozen or so of those sets of plastic measuring cups. I'm going, uh, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, you, you got it, Don. He's all reimburse you. <laughs> well, what do you what do you need those for? He starts explaining to me, and I'm going, you ain't reimbursing me, pal. I'm getting in on this. His wife was getting to know the neighbor ladies. None of their recipes were measured in cups and tablespoons and all that like us. So she got this group of late neighbor ladies was getting together with sharing recipes. And she wanted a set of measuring cups so that her recipes didn't have to be converted, so to speak. So I brought them over there. And that's what she's doing. She's reaching out to her neighbors. Yeah, he wanted to reimburse me. I'm going, no way. I'm getting in on this. For $6.41, I am in on this deal. I, you know, I helped open a door. Look, I mean, it's really, really insignificant, right? But to me, I'm going, you're reimbursing me. <laughs> you know, you're not buying me out of this deal. I'm in on this. So $6.41, folks, can, can, can get us in on an open door. It's funny how that works. Now, I could go on and tell you more stories, but... Paul does that for us. There's 10 people here that we're going to see as Paul gives these final greetings that show us opportunities and a little bit of warning, but opportunities. We're going to go through them quickly, but here's another lesson that we learn here. 
The bonus lesson is from 2 Timothy 3.16. How much of scripture is, is inspired by God and given, right? All scripture. A lot of people would pass over this text. Oh, it's just a bunch of names, greetings, say hi to so-and-so. Watch. This is one of the funnest Bible studies I've ever been part of. Okay? So, hang on. We're going to move quickly, but hang on, because this is a lot of fun. These people are making the most of their opportunities. And by the way, as we read these names, I'm going to pronounce them the way I want to pronounce them. Okay? So if you're ever leading a Bible study, or even if you're just reading the text at a Bible study, you pronounce them however you want. Okay? That is, you got the mic, you pronounce them, you read them the way you want, okay? If you, you know, feel like I, I butchered it, let's talk afterwards. Verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me, and sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So the first guy... If you're taking notes, it's this Tychicus. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful servant. And he's got a role. He's got a job to do. We'll see when he's combined with the next guy that they're going to be bringing news. They're going to be providing encouragement. They're going to be listening to what's going on at the, uh, with the Colossians. And then they're providing comfort. Listening. Providing comfort. Bringing good news, encouraging news. Folks, that's how open doors work. It can be as simple as just listening. Yeah, encouraging others. And that's what this guy does. He's a faithful servant. He's a beloved brother. And that's what he's called to do. We can do that, right? I'm not very good at listening, I'm told. I'm learning. But I grew up in a family of 10 kids. So, man, you, you get the floor, you just... You go for it, and if it doesn't seem like enough people are listening, you talk louder, and you say it again. But So we, we weren't, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I'll own that, that I'm not a very good listener, uh, but the Lord is helping me to become a better one. So even that can be a way that we can see doors open. Second one, verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who's one of you, they will make known to you all things that are happening here. Onesimus, one of you, he's from Colossae. Onesimus, didn't we hear about him somewhere else in the Bible? Oh yeah, that little letter right before Hebrews, it's called Philemon. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. He ran away, ends up in Rome, small world, bumps into Paul, gets saved, becomes a believer, and in that letter to Philemon, basically Paul's saying, hey, I'm sending him back, but receive him as a brother, not as a slave. And he challenges Philemon to, to, to take it that way and not take it out on this guy. And this Onesimus is willing to go back. He's going to say, oh, don't send me there. I'll go anywhere. You know? <laughs> I'll go to the jungles of Africa. You know? Just don't send me back to Colossae. They're going to they're gonna skin me alive. No. He goes as a runaway slave. The ironic thing about that Bible study about Philemon is, and, and, and Onesimus is the, word, the name Onesimus, you know what it means? useful. That's what his name means. The dude ran away, and yet he's being sent back, and his name means useful. Kind of crazy. Folks, all of us at one time, the Bible says, are slaves to sin. 
We're all slaves, but we've been set free as we trust in Christ. We get this, or we should get this idea. All of us can be useful in God's kingdom, even if we've run away, and even if we're former slaves. The other half of this is, if you see someone who's been enslaved in some real serious you know, hard life conditions, whether it's addictions or a real tough situation, and they come to the Lord, man, welcome them. Welcome them as brothers and sisters. Don't just look down. Sometimes when people come from a little bit different background, maybe even they're you know, recent to, the, to this country and they're coming out of a tough situation, sometimes we can, we can kind of treat them as, you know, there's too much difference there. We need to treat, you know, like Paul does, hey, this is our, this is our beloved brother. He's not just a former slave. Okay? Next one, verse 10. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. No kidding, fellow prisoner. Because <laughs> you should read this guy's resume, Acts 19. He's in the riot in Ephesus. He's the one that's hauled in because they can't get their hands on Paul. Acts 20, he's traveling with Paul. Acts 27, he's still with Paul. He's on the ship. He's shipwrecked with Paul. And now he's, Paul says, he's my fellow prisoner. He's in jail with me. I mean, this is at least a decade, like, in time that's gone on here, close to it. Wow. No kidding, he's a fellow prisoner. This guy is willing to stick it out even through the difficulties. That's his open door. A diligence perseverance. I mean, think about this. I can just see this guy's mom saying, uh, Starchy? I think that's what she would have called him. But, <laughs> you sure you want to hang around with that Paul guy? You know, there's riots, there's jail, there's shipwrecks. You know, you, your dad and I thought maybe lawyer or doctor or something, you know. You sure you want to hang around this guy? This work is getting kind of hard. No. He was faithful. He was faithful. He hung in there. He persevered even through all those tough times. Fourth one. <clears throat> Middle of verse 10. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. This, by the way, is the only place we see that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. This is John Mark who we're introduced to. And yeah, that's the guy. First missionary journey. Paul is on that missionary journey with um, Barnabas. And what happens? John Mark bails on him. Middle of the trip. We don't know why. He just, he bails on him. Get to Acts 15. They're ready to start that next missionary journey to go back. Paul and, and Barnabas. Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, I'm paraphrasing, no way, you've got to be kidding. That guy bailed on us. A sharp division arose so that now we had two teams, which may have been God's intended will all, all along. So Paul goes with Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, what does Paul say about Mark? He is useful for the ministry. And boy, has he ever, did he ever, even though he bailed, even though he failed, even though it took someone like Barnabas to go back and restore him, I'm sure glad he's useful for ministry because in my Bible there are four Gospels. One of them's got the name Mark on it. <laughs> yeah, that's how much he was restored. Don't miss the open door here. Maybe you've bailed. <laughs> 
maybe you've walked away or just had a season where you just kind of went dormant or went on vacation and you walk with the Lord. Get back in the game. Get back to it. Just matter of you saying, Lord, take me as I am. I'm, I'm willing. I want to I be walking with you. God is a restoring God. That's what the gospel is all about, right? Us being restored to fellowship with him through Jesus. Whenever we see issues of contention in the church, in all the letters in the New Testament, what's the ultimate goal? Restoration. Only when restoration is not an option is there to be a, a severing, even if there's discipline. The whole idea is that restoration is the goal. Next one, verse 11. And Jesus, who is called justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They've proved to be a comfort to me. So this first grouping is all men of Jewish background. Okay? So this guy's name is Jesus Justice. You want to know his backstory? There isn't one. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. And you know what that means for us? Good. Because you know what? Many of us may feel very insignificant. Some of us want it that way. We like it that way. Others just, we say, oh, that's the way it is. That's what God, what, has, what he has for us. We may never have a big prominent place or even enjoy our 15 minutes of fame. Here's a guy who in the annals of New Testament history, insignificant. He was faithful. He brought comfort. But what do we find out about him? His name is written in this book. You may be insignificant, and there are people out in your world that may be insignificant, but guess what? If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, my Bible says at the end of Revelation chapters 20 and 21, it says your names will be written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the book we want our names written in. You may be totally insignificant and may really like it that way. But if you're trusting Christ, your name is written in the book. If you're here today, and that message, maybe you've heard it before, you haven't responded to that message. But the gospel message is for insignificant people, for all people. And that is that we want to see that our name is written in that book. And we don't write it ourselves. <laughs> We yield to the God who created us and say, have mercy on me. I put my faith and trust in Christ and ask for your forgiveness. By trusting Christ, that's when we have that relationship. And that's when he says, okay, he's mine. She's mine. And that's when our names are written in that book. If you have never done that, I, make, I urge you, make today the day you do that. The next one, verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. So the next guy here is Epaphras. He's a bondservant. The word there, you've probably heard it before. It's doulos. It's not just a servant. It comes from the idea in the Old Testament where a slave or a servant could go free after a certain amount of time. But if they elected to stay in service to their master, they actually back them up to the door frame and take an awl and whack a hole in their ear, right? They pierce their ear to mark them to say, this person has chosen. 
They are a servant for life by choice. They're not being forced to it. They've chosen it. That's what that word means here. This guy has said, by choice, I'm a bondservant. I'm serving the Lord for life. He labors fervently, and he prays, and he's, he's known for having great zeal. To, for people to stand mature and fully assured. Don't miss that point. That's what Paul really um, uh, kind of drove home in the early parts of, of chapters 1 and 2 in this letter. Paul's goal was to not only preach the gospel, but to see people come to faith and then mature in their faith. That we'd be mature believers. That those people in Colossae would be mature uh, believers. And that's how he, he prays for them. So, what's the application here? We can all pray. Right? Some people say, well, you know, I'm not the type. I can't get up in front of people or even lead a Bible study. Or I can't, definitely can't sing or and whatever. I don't, I don't know what to, what to do. Here you go. We can all pray. We can all pray. Next one. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician. This is the only place where we actually learn that Luke was a doctor. And we know all about him. But he's one of the top intellects in the New Testament era. Can you imagine Paul and Luke spending all this time together? He's probably the scribe that wrote down a lot of Paul's letters, wrote the book of Acts, of course, and the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the beloved physician. What opportunities do you have? You could be Nancy, the beloved nurse. You can serve the Lord right there, right? You can be Leo, the electrician the beloved electrician. No matter what our job, our occupation, what's, how we spend our time, we're beloved of the Lord and we can serve him right where we are. We have opportunities right where we are. Oh, sure, you may not have an employee come to you like I did, say, I feel so lost, can you help me? Well, that was, you know, once in a career kind of thing, you know, that was pretty direct, you know. Um, but, we can listen, we can pray, we can comfort, and we can always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask us for the reason and the hope that we have, right? Right where we are, right where we are. Sure, if you're in a work situation, use discretion, make sure you're not you know, getting too far out of bounds there and, 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 and uh, you know, use discretion. <laughs> we, we wanna be free to speak. Uh, it's just don't, don't, don't make it weird for your employer. Okay, next one at the end of chapter four, or verse 14, Demas. So Luke, uh, the physician, and Demas greets you. Demas. Nothing is said about Demas here. Sadly, what we know from 2 Timothy, it says that Demas has departed. He's forsaken. He's loved the world. And he left. So Demas bails, not just on Paul, but it looks like on the work. We're in a world today, statistically, this has increased in the last, in my lifetime, a, a great deal. So many people who are raised in the church just wandering away. They're walking away. What does that mean for us? These things do happen. We need to pray. And maybe you've got a Demas in your family or people you know about? Let's pray. Earlier we talked about Mark. 
Mark had bailed in some way. We're not sure exactly what. So if you've got a Demas, <laughs> let's pray that you know, maybe you're the Barnabas that goes and seeks him out. Barnabas stood up for John Mark, and we saw him restored when Paul wasn't willing to. Maybe we need to just go seek out someone that we know has just kind of wandered away. And maybe there's an event. Maybe there's something. Hey, pick them up. Don't, don't just invite them. Just say, hey, I'll pick you up at, when you start, 10 o'clock. Pick you up at 9.30, quarter to 10, whatever. You know, you can bring them to church. You can bring them to an event. Okay? So for all the Demases that are out there, let's look at this as an opportunity. Hey, maybe they can turn into a John Mark. They'll come back. Right? There's great joy in heaven. Verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nympha or Nymphus and the church that it is his house or her house. Most Bible people lean towards a feminine um, interpretation of that word. It's probably a lady. Uh, don't know, doesn't, I don't think for application's sake that it matters other than to say, we got somebody who's practicing hospitality here, folks. <laughs> They're hosting believers in their home. In that day and age, much of the church met in, in homes. It's that simple. There's an open door. Hospitality. Hospitality can be an open door. Hosting something in your home. I mean, there's people that say, well, I'll host it, but I, I can't lead it. Fine. Find somebody who can. But don't be afraid to use hospitality. Um, in fact, in Hebrews it says... You're supposed to show hospitality. You don't never know when, when uh, you're, you may even be entertaining angels unaware, right? That's uh, in Hebrews uh, 13, I believe. Okay. Verse 16. Now, in this epistle is read among you, see that it's read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. By the way, we don't have a Laodicean letter. We're not sure what that means. I'm just going to leave that one open-ended. Let Don handle that. You can ask him. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you all. Here's the last, the tenth guy, Archippus, and this is every one of us. What does Paul say? To the people, he says, say to Archippus. So he doesn't say, hey, Archippus, do this. <laughs> he says, as a church... Pass this greeting to Archippus, and that is fulfill the ministry that you have. We don't know what it is. You've received it in the Lord. Fulfill it. But he's almost putting it out there like the whole church would know about this. And in a kind of a positive peer pressure way, um, invite the people to say, hey, yeah, rally around this person. Encourage them and, and, and support them in the work, whatever that ministry is that they're supposed to do. So... <laughs> If you've gone through the first nine and you say, well, I didn't see anything for me. I'm not really fit. Number 10 here, Archippus does. Take heed to the ministry that's in front of you and fulfill it. It may be as insignificant uh, as you can imagine. Um, but God is giving us all opportunities. Small things, maybe even big things. But we're supposed to be found faithful in the small things, right? And then that will lead to, lead to more. So all of us have opportunities. All of us have opportunities. Let's redeem them. Let's consider um, the, the ways that these people were found faithful. 
Maybe you've got one or two that stand out to you. But let's make the most of. Let's redeem those opportunities in our, in our lives. Let's look for, pray for, encourage each other in looking for those open doors. Open doors may be very, you know, maybe minor. Maybe just a friendship that starts. It may just be a restored relationship somewhere. But our speech, our conduct, our character make a difference. And what we do with the time, we want to make the most of it for the glory of God. Because in these days, boy, things get a little wackier every week out there. And uh, rather than railing on people about how wacky it's getting, let's trust the Lord. Let's see what, what way we can represent him and serve him uh, in, in these days. So we got to 10. Everybody remembers where 12% was. Let's pray. 